Welcome to the program. I'm joined today by Dr. Stacey Harris, who is a general practitioner in Melbourne. Good morning, Stacey. Good morning. Stacey, you wrote a open letter to the government, to Dan Andrews, and a copy of that letter also wound up on the front page of the Australian newspaper last week, I believe. Yes. This letter expressed, just quoting directly from it, anguish, despair, and lack of hope that you're finding in your patients who you're dealing with. Mm. One thing that stood out to me was uh, just the change in the sort of makeup of your patients that you describe in this open letter. It sounds like the numbers of patients who are presenting with mental illness is about four times higher than it was for you a year ago on, on average per, per week. And now about half of of your daily patients are in fact seeking mental health care, which is really staggering. Yes, Yes. staggering and exhausting. Yeah, I bet. Something that I think a lot of people who read the article in The Australian would have been surprised at was, uh, you know, this business of of prescribing antidepressants to really young people, adolescents, as young as 12. Can you give me some examples that you're seeing, you know, in your day-to-day work of people's mental health problems and and if you don't mind how how these are linked to lockdown please yeah sure so i mean i do see across the board quite a range of patients but i do specifically see a lot of young kids ranging from well five right through to the you know young adolescent older adolescent group and specifically in that group what i've noticed in this second lockdown, long lockdown that we've had, is more and more children, more and more parents are coming saying their children are not getting out of bed, that they're not attending to their online learning, they're not motivated, they'll start for five minutes, then stop, they're crying more frequently, they're anxious, they're scared of the future, they're scared of what we're in, the, the feelings of no hope, and some, some quite angry. Some young teens are just angry at the situation and wondering why the rest of Australia is getting on with it and we're all here stuck doing nothing. And and then fearful of, well, what does it all mean? And, and so, I, look, it's day in, day out. And they're the kids. I mean, I'm seeing also younger adults and people who live alone and older people just not sure, not understanding. You know, we're hearing from every day that we've got to be scared and we've got to do the right thing and... And it's just causes fear and panic that that is unnecessary. Mm. And, and yeah. before I come to why you think it's unnecessary, I mean, are you yeah. are you encountering examples of self harm uh, oh, among yes. your patients? Yeah. So sorry. Yeah. Going back to that. Um, yeah. No, I am sadly seeing a lot of um, young kids, uh, particularly girls, restricting their eating. Um, and I believe you know, as we know, the, the restricted eating and the eating disorders come from a sense of control and because their control of everything else is not there. They, this is one thing they can control. So a lot of anorexia come up. Um, mm. And then combined with that, a lot of young kids self-harming. So so cut, cut, cutting themselves, uh, using cigarette lighters to burn themselves. I've had to do dressings on wounds that um, have been caused by these young people that even they can't express why they're doing it, but I know why. And... All say, all of them say, it goes back to, well, you know, I ask them why and, you know, it's because, well, I haven't seen my friends, um, you know, I just, I, you know, I'm not in my sports anymore, I'm not involved with things um, and and it breaks my heart because 
it is always goes back down to the to the lockdown. Like it's yeah, sure they there's some of them and there's a lot of them that were maybe on the brink or had pre-existing anxiety or, or lowered mood. But this extreme lockdown we're in has to me uh, tipped them over. And and I mean you're a GP, so you're seeing yeah. this is and normally I mean in a, in a normal circumstances and it's hard to remember what they were. Uh, we've been we've it's been such a different year this year with the pandemic and then the lockdown that followed. Uh, yeah. Normally, you would be able to refer them to a specialist like a psychologist or a psychiatrist, yes. Uh, yes. but I believe that it's very hard to get in. There's you know they're booked out basically; they're not available oh, they to are. see. Yeah. So initially, when I released this letter and it came out, there were a few um, psychology groups that contacted my clinic that said they have availability. Well, interestingly, one of them that I ended up contacting because I was desperate for another patient. Um, you know, you know, they said, oh, yeah, we've got availability, but like in three or four weeks. Mm. And that was their earliest. And in, in the case of a, of a young person who's, who's so, is restricting their eating, self-harming, having thoughts of suicide, like three, four weeks is like, it, so we need immediate help. And that's, and this time last year, I could ring a psychologist and get these patients in mm. and feel like I've done my job and like, oh, good. And then I'll review them. But now, yeah, I, I, I'm finding it almost impossible to get them to see someone who's appropriate for their needs mm. um and then the these people that i'm prescribing antidepressants to a lot i have normally refer to pediatricians pediatric psychiatrists well that, that's a joke we can't there's no one there's really no one we can maybe ring for advice but we can't get them in so mm. i'm left to sort of do do it which i feel comfortable doing it but i feel so sorry for these kids when i think you know giving pills giving even psychology when the answer is to just let them start living safely a normal life. To me, that's the answer, not all this other stuff. And what about new mums and neonatal <laughs> depression? Yes, yes. Yep, so going right back from when first lockdown was was, apparent, was on us, um, these young mums were forbidden to go see the maternal health nurse for just, you know, that, that's, it. that's vital for how they cope with everything to do with managing their baby and questions they have. So that was taken from them. And, look, I can understand earlier in the piece we had to sort of be careful and no one knew. But as time's marched on, I think they're allowed now, but they're still restricted. They can't have their mother's groups. So I've treated a lot of postnatal depression. And even that aside, they, they can't see their own mums or their own family because of lockdown. So... And, and that's so important in, in you know, with a, with a new, for your first baby, even your second baby, you know, it, it's having these mums break down in my room and, you know, the so postnatal depression again has gone up and I'm prescribing again to these young mums who seem, seemingly have no hope. It's a, it's a real worry, isn't it? And I've, it I've heard this from, from other doctors as well, as you know. The next thing which is, follows what you've just been talking about, which is your experience as a GP and the patients that you're seeing is, you know, you say, okay, well, the simple solution is, is to, to go back to, you know, let, let these people see their families, let them safely yeah. uh, interact with people. Can you give me some ideas? What, what, what changes would you recommend uh, yep. to Victoria's stage four lockdown? You, you also mentioned that uh, certain industries could actually open up because they've been shown to not contribute to the spread of COVID. Mm. Could you give me a little bit of information about that, please? Yeah, so look, I, I know it's not as easy as just opening up and that's ta been taken the wrong way even in my letter to say 
But I believe the modelling, and this is from what, as far as we know, the, the, what they've based this lockdown on is modelling that was done months ago. And, and the reality is, as time marches on, we're in a different phase with the virus. We know more. Mm. Um, we understand more. We're still learning. But can they remodel it so that we can slowly ease the openings? Again, I'm not the big expert on it, but th- things like shops and things that's very enclosed i guess that's that's still a concern to, to a lot of people but industries where you are outside i know gardening has been let you know to start up but well schools i mean they're one thing that, sh- that every kid should be should, should have gone back um, yeah so that should have happened earlier i mean it is actually happening absolutely. it is happening um, i think yeah. as of next monday a Minus, lot of a yeah. lot of state schools and stuff are going back but uh, you know, there's a, obviously there's a lot of damage. I mean, they've missed more than two terms so far. Um, well, and it's and year eight, nines, and tens are still not going back till the 26th, I think, or 28th of right. October. Okay. So they're not going back yet. Mm. Um, and they're the they're the target group that I did mention in my letter, the 12 to 15 year olds that are still not back. And yes, they've got a date, and that's all well and good. But as you say, the damage is done. I've got on the the other side of it now. I'm seeing these kids who. They're, they're, it's bittersweet. They're happy to be going back, but then they're scared too. Mm. I had an example of a young girl this week who is going back, obviously, next week, and she's 16, and she she just sat in my office just staring into space, and she couldn't even articulate to me what was her concern, and finally I got it out of her that she's happy to be going back because she's scared too. She said to me, I don't know what to say to my friends anymore, and, like... <sighs> I, I just, I guess what we've, none of us have ever faced this and none of us have, are equipped to sort of, but I sort of think all along the answer's been get back, get back, get back. And now I'm worried that once they do go back, how many will regress, how many have regressed, mm. uh, how many have lost that social network and, and, and are feeling afraid and, and, you know, all unnecessarily. Mm. Well, look, it's a pretty big debate that there are questions that the government is really insisting on certain benchmarks being met what do you think of the target of COVID normal? And, and the, it's pretty stringent, basically. It's saying no, no new cases for 28 days, no active cases in Victoria, and no outbreaks in other parts of Australia. So, it, uh, yes, it's, I mean, so I mean, do you think that's, it, it seems, and, I mean, and I've heard this from various people, but it sounds like that that's a very, very tough thing to achieve. That's right. I mean, I, again, I'm not the expert on viruses, but we're all trained to know as doctors, it's, it's, to me, impossible to do that, to reach that. And look, if it was possible and sustainable and it guaranteed us eradication forever, we'd all do it. I'd be up for it. I'd say, you know, let's, let's, let's live like this to, to then never have it again. It's not the case. We're, not, we're never going to, I don't believe, get down to that. It's too hard on a society or it's possible, but what, another six months of this? Yeah. And that's not sustainable. We, these kids are going to suffer. More, more mums are having babies. Like... So I guess it's 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 really hard. I'd hate to be a politician in this because it is, you know, they're making big policies and big big statements. But you, I feel there's the, the balance is now tipped the other way, and we're they're in this target of elimination and eradication of the virus. And I just don't see it being possible, as you say, with those figures. I, I can't see us there. We're at the moment we should be at the stage where New South Wales safely opened up and we're out and about and. They've got their good contact tracing up and, up and running. Why can't we follow the same thing and, and follow them? We've got the example right there. You mentioned modelling. 
Um, yes. And it's being done by a fairly small group, I believe, yep. at Melbourne yep. University. Now, what yep. are you aware of any problems with the modelling they're doing? I mean, you mentioned earlier today that it was it was based on information or, or, or data from several months ago, presumably from the sort of first wave of the virus, April, yep. May, that time of the year. But I'm just wondering, you know, what do you think they've got wrong apart from basing their modelling on old data? And they haven't even admitted it and said you know, that their data shouldn't be followed stringently like it does. It was just a, a model, which, you know, we appreciate there's, there's a model there, but, and they even acknowledge that it doesn't take into account unknown cases and, and it also does state, they acknowledge that it's pretty much elimination eradication model, mm. which is not achievable or, or sustainable or even possible, I think. I mean, I just don't, there's, there's quite a few flaws in it. It's quite conservative. It's for our small population here in, in Melbourne, Victoria, I, I don't see why we have to be so like that when we're still in the harshest, it's just continuing on this lockdown. Mm. Um, my it, fear is that it continues. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess the problem is if, you, if it does come back and if, you, if you've gone so hard in the way of restrictions, uh, level four lockdown, which we're, we're, we've been living through for, for months now in, in mm. Melbourne, and it does turn up again, then... I mean, I think there'll be a lot of resistance to starting it again. And, and and then it's sort of then, well, then your idea of eradication, if it props up again early next year, for example, then then this whole idea of eradication is then proved to have failed. You know, if they if they reach their benchmark and they re- <laughs> open up gradually and then it pops up again, it's, and it, there's a few extra cases showing up in New South Wales mysteriously. It, mm. it has reappeared in New Zealand, although that was, yes. you know, in, in small numbers. It's the nature of it because you're not testing everyone and you're also dealing with a asymptomatic spread of the virus as well. True. And and what I want to point out and what a lot of people are upset about and we haven't got answers yet is that this whole call, this so-called second wave we've had was brought about by the quarantine bungles and that people were knowingly going out or unknowingly with spreading it with, with no contact tracing. And so... This second wave wasn't, a, I guess, a true second wave. That, we're hoping, doesn't happen again mm. um, because we should have the contact tracing up and about. So, therefore, we shouldn't go through that again. I mm. mean, yes, it will spread and it does what it does, but surely we can get the contact tracing, you, you, as the WHO keeps saying, test, test, test and isolate. And yes. If that was to happen, I would feel more comfortable and go, well, yeah, we, we, we shouldn't get this third wave. We'll get clusters, but not not to go into lockdown again. That's what everyone's feeling. Talking with Dr. Stacey Harris, a GP in Melbourne, very concerned about the effect on her patients and, and uh, higher incidence of mental illness uh, among her patients. Stacey, you actually were granted a meeting on Wednesday, the 7th of October, with the new Health Minister of Victoria, Martin Foley. Are you able to just give me some idea of how that went? Um, what were your impressions of the new health minister? Do you think your concerns were being listened to? Yeah, sure. Look, yeah, he was a polite man and, and he, he took the time to listen to another surgeon and myself. Uh, however, our goals, I guess, were to try to get a meeting or some sort of second opinion on this modelling um, or to try to talk to Brett Sutton and, and, and the team just to bring our views to the table, I guess, being in the coalface and because our letters haven't really been acknowledged. So we, we I guess that's what our aim was for the meeting and sadly, no, we, we didn't achieve that. Again, we were, you know, grateful to have the meeting but then, yeah, it wasn't 
such a great outcome for us. Were there any commitments to, to look again at your data or to, to reconvene at a later date or, or to pass on information or, or statements that you'd made? No, no. It was suggested that perhaps, you know, to seek our colleges, College of Surgeons, the RSCGP, the AMA. However, we did express that it is just too difficult. You know, we've, you've got people here in front of in front of him now saying this is what's happening can we just get a group together who are actually in the, the front line so to speak not so much the colleges who we don't really talk to mm. so in that regard no um that was the only thing that was suggested and yeah apart from just hearing what we had to say yeah we felt it sort of didn't go as, as well as we wanted to, to in terms yeah. of you know, getting a concrete sort of meeting or something like that. And your open letter, just for listeners, your open letter was actually co-signed by several yes. other doctors. I think nine other doctors in addition to yourself um, right. supported that. There's been other open letters. In fact, um, the COVID Doctors yeah. Network, as you know, got 500 doctors' signatures yeah. in support of that. Most, I believe mm-hmm. most of them from Victoria and Melbourne. So it seems that there's, you know, a lot of unanimity among doctors and among uh, medical professionals about and these concerns. Sorry, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. Sorry. And if I could add, if the listeners could look at the Great Barrington Declaration made in the US, mm-hmm. um, it's a current... A declaration, it's well written, very brief. It's got about 12,000 doctors' signatories on it Mm. and it talks about the harm doing to lockdown and what we should be doing. And it's actually, it's with 12,000 last night, I counted, so it's probably more today. But if listeners or yourself could could have a look at that, it's really interesting. And they're saying all what we're saying, that the lockdown's just causing more harm. Than good, yeah. Um, And and I mean, I, I think, you know, people are wondering also, even if there's question marks about which industries can open up and, and how that'll work, and obviously offices and buildings with elevators could present a problem for the CBD, for that kind of work, yeah. for office work, a lot of that can be done from home anyway. Things that would improve people's mental health, I assume, would be sort of out, more outdoor activities, allowing sport to resume, weekend oh, sport, um, outdoor activities like golf and tennis. What do you think about those? Do you think they should still be restricted? Because at the moment, the nets are taken down on a lot of public courts, and the only yeah. people at golf courses are people just walking the fairways but without any clubs or golf balls no. and, and i don't understand the rationale with that like what, what they're outdoors you know they can be safely distanced again these these sports and activities are going back they're, they're definitely going back we know that so how are we meant to learn if we're continually not allowed none of us are going to learn how to do it and and it could actually go the opposite where people are just so fed up and fatigued of this lockdown they just do the wrong thing and that's what we don't want so outdoor activities on the big <laughs> pusher for that because again for young people or any age it just gives you that freedom and that sense of good energy like everything it, it helps mental health it helps everything and I, I don't see the reasoning behind that I, I still don't see the reasoning behind this five kilometer radius that we're still stuck in too because that's restricting again and causing mental health and harm to people mm. so it just goes on and on <laughs> yeah Really appreciate your time, Dr. Stacey Harris, GP in Melbourne and uh, author of an open letter sent to Premier Andrews, published on the uh, front page of the Australian newspaper, certainly gaining a lot of attention around the country and I think a lot of sympathy from people interstate. I've, I've had some contact with people interstate. You know, I think they genuinely say we really feel for people in Melbourne at the moment because I think they can see and they hear and there's enough information flowing. So I think it's important that people keep talking about this. Hopefully we're going to see some changes.
Looking at the latest figures and the benchmarks the government have set, it doesn't look like we're going to be actually on track for the reduction in in, uh, the levels of lockdown that we're hoping for. It looks like the the numbers are going to be too high. Yeah, and that's the fear that I think other people just want to have a look at the opening date and say, oh, we're going to be open soon, but not realising our numbers are not showing that. Mm. And is this lockdown just going to continue until Christmas, which is just... Yeah, I, I, I can't see how, how we're going to sustain that. I really can't. All right. Thank you very much for your time, uh, Dr. Stacey Harris. I wish you, you well with your open letter to the government and let's hope that there's some sensible people listening who can make some changes. No, thank you. Thank you for bringing it to light too. It really helps get the word out. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to review us on iTunes. It's a great way to let others know if you liked our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Beyond Infinity RPPFM on Facebook or Infinity RPP on Twitter.